continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 90, Continuous Improvement and the Most Important Goal with Jim Gitney. Jim Gitney has been coaching and consulting for decades and over the years has seen many strategies fail because of poor execution. He knew there had to be a better way to bridge strategy and results and develop the business hierarchy of needs to clearly show how to make the decisions that lead to great execution of strategy. Let's hear Jim's approach from him and discuss how it relates to lean and continuous improvement approaches. Jim Gitney, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Bella, it is really my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm very glad to have you. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about when we were planning this podcast was that, that I know the first thing I said to you is, well, I really don't have the supply chain guys on this podcast. So it's it's extra special to have you here. I think you know, what we're going to talk about is going to be of interest to, to all kinds of people um, outside of the supply chain world. So can you give us a... a the Jim the story. Tell, tell us about yourself and how you got into what you're doing now. I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking. So my career is 45 years old. And I'm an engineer. I have an MBA. I grew up on the East in the Mid-Atlantic States. And I started my career with the manufacturing management program at General Electric. Spent 11 years there. Spent 11 years with Black & Decker making power tools and housewares. <clears throat> and then went to work for Sunbeam, where I was the head of restructuring. Then I came to California as a general manager of a division of a half a billion dollar company. And then in 2004, realized that while I had achieved my goal of getting to the C-suite, I really enjoyed working with people on the front line. And it didn't matter whether it was on the shop floor or whether it was in the C-suite. I enjoyed working with people and helping them realize their most important goal. Business process changes, continuous improvement, Kaizen activities, of which I've been I've either led or been part of over 200. And one of the things I found out that I've realized during my career is that strategies are often pretty good, but 80% of them don't realize their intended value because of a lack of alignment and accountability throughout the organization. And so while I'm a supply chain guy, the reality is that no matter how much automation you have or how good you are, you still need to rely on people to implement the strategies that you've created in order to realize your most important goal. And so I've spent since 2004, almost 20 years working with over 200 companies and helping them develop and implement strategy. So that, I mean, and that is quite a move, I think, because I think a lot of people who are, you know, start out in engineering, um, uh, work in supply chain, work in a very process-oriented um, type of work, don't always come to, all right, what is the what is the reason for this work, right? Now, I, I, they might get to, I, I, I think anyone who's involved in lean or con and continuous improvement gets to the point of, all right, well, this is in order to bring value to the customer so that we can bring value back to the company right so that so there is you know there is that um that kind of thinking but it doesn't get to i think always the level of real strategy you know it's 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 so what what for you kind of really what triggered that idea um in in your work so during my career i was always the fix-it guy yeah <laughs> Uh, my wife and I have moved all over the country working uh, with companies and uh, leaders of organizations to restructure their business when they get in trouble. And so as a result of being a fix-it guy, I realized that people 
inside of a business want to be part of something bigger. They want to know that the work that they're doing is going to contribute to something bigger, that it has more value than just their paycheck. And they want to be part of successful teams. And in 1992, uh, I was part of a team that developed and implemented Black & Decker's total quality management system across the entire company. And we realized that people want to be successful. But oftentimes, they don't have the tools or the skills or the resources in order to be able to do it. But more importantly, they don't have that direction, that guiding light, that northern star, whatever term you want to use that helps them make sure that everything they do will help a company move toward its most important goal. And I'll, I'll keep saying most important goal because that's one of the linchpins of my book and our thinking in the consulting work we do at Group 50 Consulting. What's really, what's really important is that I have found that when you put a team of people together and give them the appropriate tools, of which continuous improvement and lean are the primary focus that they can achieve amazing things. Uh, that that feeds on itself, right? That then people, their engagement goes up. They're they're more more willing to come with ideas uh, to you know to continue to improve. But you but for leaders, doesn't that take some kind of change in their thinking? Yeah, it really it really does require a, a bit of a change of thinking. And uh -huh. that primary change is, and I'll give you an example. So I've, as I mentioned earlier, have led or been part of over 200 Kaizen events. And when we do Kaizen, we put really aggressive goals out for the team to accomplish. In those 200 events, I've only ever had two that didn't meet the requirements that they had set out to do. And for those of your listeners who aren't real familiar with Kaizen, Kaizen is the concept of in a very short period of time, getting a group of process owners. It doesn't matter what the business process is, getting them together and asking them to improve the, the what they're part of. And those two groups that didn't realize their objectives were so distraught by the fact that they did not meet their objectives that they begged to do it over again. <laughs> and they did it over again. And those are two of the best projects that I, I ever participated in. The point of the matter is that we as people, what I call the bridge between strategy and results, we as people want to be led. We want to know from what, to what, by when, and, and we want to be part of the how. So the change in leadership thinking is to realize that you have an incredible amount of talent in your organization. And if you just give them an opportunity to be part of the how and to take ownership for it when they redesign what they do, the results are amazing. And, and that is, I think, a big difference be, uh, between the way that a, that a company that is really uh, taking advantage of its people and a company that looks as on people as being, you know, just a pair of hands, um, you know, people who that we can we can bring them on we can we can let them go um you know treating treating people as um as instruments I, I think um and one of the challenges that that I've seen is that there are many leaders who I think just really believe that somehow that they are they're better um they are more intelligent they have more knowledge than the people who are actually doing the work so do you ever work with leaders like that or do you do you try to stay away from that type of leader so wow that's a loaded question <laughs> that really is a loaded question 
So, so here's my thoughts on that, Bella. I worked really hard during my career to get to the C-suite. Yeah. And it should be obvious to everyone in an organization that if you're in the C-suite, you have a unique set of talents and a unique knowledge. But for leaders, it's important to recognize that your unique knowledge supports and is important for your title and your role. But that doesn't mean you know more than everybody else. It only means you have a unique set of skills. And so you had, had stated earlier, taking advantage of people. Taking advantage of people is when you are treating them just as another worker mm-hmm. or just a you know part of something that needs to get done. I like to use the term, for enlightened leaders, I like to use the term leveraging people. And what I mean by that is that, and I'll give you an example. When I was running Black & Decker's largest appliance factory, I had 2,000 people. And we wanted to implement a continuous improvement program throughout the business. So I did a survey. And I found out that out of the 2,000 people we had, over 200 of them had degrees, some master's degrees. They built computers. they, They built race cars. No, they did all kinds of really, really unique things, things I couldn't do despite mm-hmm. the fact that I was the leader. And when we asked them to participate in our continuous improvement program and to leverage some of that knowledge, we were able to triple the output of the facility in less than three years. And it was just by asking, setting the goal, <clears throat> asking them to be part of it, asking them to be accountable to it and to be part of the how and the results were stellar and and you were you were really just in that survey taking the time to get to know people and and learn more about the the people than just what they did during the day right because right. And, and everybody has has different types of experiences different things that they've studied different um you know, teams that they've been on you know, outside of work. I don't think there's anybody who is just the person who goes to work. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so people must have been very excited then to bring, all right, well, I, I know something about how a system works because I've I've built my own computer. I know something about, about how a team works because uh, I, I coach little kids softball. I mean, that kind of stuff is um, invaluable and we often ignore it. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm sure most of your listeners have heard of something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Yeah. Right? And we all as individuals have basic needs. And in 2013, I created the Business Hierarchy of Needs and adapted Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs to the Business Hierarchy of Needs. Excuse me. Businesses have needs as well. And teams of people have needs. And we as individuals on those teams want to elevate our own personal needs. So what I found was that if you can, if you're satisfied, if I'm working for you and you're satisfying my needs for financial stability, health care needs, and those kinds of things, that employers can actually elevate my transition through Maslow's hierarchy of needs by allowing me to use the full set of tools that I have and the full set of skills that I have, not just sitting on an assembly line and doing the same thing every 20 or 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that was the reason they were there. They wanted to have those basic needs met so that they could go coach their child's uh, baseball team. Right. Yeah. Go to their recitals. Right. Make sure that their health care is taken care of. And so those are are the basic needs. Business leaders who are enlightened and who understand that they can leverage the skill sets inside their organization can help not only the business needs, but also the personal needs of the people in their workforce. So what so when you talk about about the uh, your your business hierarchy of needs, Jim, 
uh, at the top of the Maslow hierarchy is, is something you mentioned already, which is the, the, the need to belong to something greater than yourself, to contribute to something greater than yourself. So for a business, what's at the top of that hierarchy? So in the business hierarchy of needs, we actually call implementation of a business strategy the equivalent of self-actualization in uh-huh. the hierarchy of needs, right? But what drives that is the most important goal. That's the foundation. Tell me from what to what by when. For example, we want to double the size of the business in revenues, or we want to uh, significantly increase enterprise value, or perhaps we want to own a, a, a unreasonable market share in a, in a particular product line. Or, or perhaps we just want to increase profitability significantly. When we work with our clients, what we do is we ask them to identify that most important goal and something that everybody in the organization can understand. People understand increasing profits. And for the most part, workers don't hold it against owners who want to increase profits. They want to know that this is what our most important goal is, and they want to be part of helping to achieve that. And so when you engage people from that perspective and allow them to be part of the how, once again, I mentioned that, um, the the results, you can see significant change happen quickly. I was wondering, the goals that you've talked about are, are all quite by focused on on the on finances right um and i was wondering with the generations that are coming up now do those goals still resonate i mean i've certainly heard from uh the younger people that i interact with that that type of goal is not as exciting to them you know they they don't uh, necessarily buy into it. I was just wondering, have you heard any of that? Is that? I, I actually, I actually have. Uh, what we need, what we need to realize is that when you set a goal, it has to be measurable. And inside a business, so the business hierarchy of needs is actually an OKR that identifies twenty nine elements that every business does. And what we're talking about is pointing all of those elements toward the most important goal. Now, I set a most important goal to double the size of the business, but perhaps one of the strategies behind it is sustainability or social responsibility. So there are elements that you want to focus on as you move toward your most important goal. And many of those things resonate or so I've heard, resonate better with the younger generation. But that's where I stop. And the reason I say stop is because I'm a baby boomer, right? And and I've always wanted to be part of something bigger. I've always, we all need to be led. Even CEOs need to be led. And, and who leads them? The board of directors or mm-hmm. the customer who has demands in the marketplace or has requirements in the marketplace, which is what continuous improvement is all about, right? Continuously improving your business in order to, to enhance the um, uh, experience your customer has with your products or services. So while there are elements that are important to us as individuals, we all need to be led and we're led by what our customers want. So if sustainability and social responsibility are two of the things that are important to our customer base, then they become part of what we do to achieve our most important goal. I see. So it's the connection of the strategy to the goal that... um... Yeah, that yeah I, I'll give you an I'll give you an I'll give you an example. So I did a strategy for a large consumer products company. And this company made products where 82% of the decisions were either made or influenced by women. 
there wasn't a female on the board and there wasn't a female in the leadership suite. And so one day we're having a conversation. I said, guys, what, what do, you know, what do a bunch of over 55 year old white guys know about the consumer female preferences and the decision-making process for these products? And, and the reality was that, that, rec that we recognized very quickly that we needed diversity inside the leadership organization team, including the board of directors, that um, mirrored the demographic we were serving. So diversity became a major pillar inside the strategy. And so... Well, and there's a perfect example of something that's important to uh, people inside an organization to have diversity. But it could have been social responsibility. It could have been sustainability. That's driven by the needs of your marketplace. Yeah, and I think for sustainability, that there's for for almost every organization, sustainability is really about waste reduction, right? So sustainability, you know, the idea of, of making things and producing a lot of waste along the way, producing a lot of carbon dioxide and then ending up with your products in a dump somewhere is not a particularly lean idea. And it's, and it's expensive, right? So so um, it, it's very easy, I would think, to build sustainability into whatever goal you're trying to seek. It's not a... So but I love that example you gave about diversity because I think that's one of the challenges that uh, you know in the DEI world is is this idea that diversity is like this this thing that is separate and we have to tack it on to the business and that's such a great example of a business where diversity actually you could clearly see that that is a, a necessary strategy. Yes, so there there are some really impressive statistics out there. Companies that are diverse, that mimic the diversity of their location, their geographic location, and the diversity of their customer demographics, see double-digit better performance than their competitors. Now, so that's something that leaders should be focused on. But just as importantly is that there's another double digit hit when you fully engage your organization. And so while, you know, we often talk about products, we often talk about price, we, you know, as competitive advantage, the reality is that there are two, I'm gonna call them a bit fuzzier objectives that can lead to significantly better performance inside of an organization and significantly better well-being inside the company. Uh, the Gallup Group organization put together a set of numbers around engagement for my book. And when organizations fully engage their people, they get over a 60% improvement in well-being and corporate citizenship. And so this is a perfect example of what you were talking about, how to tie the different elements of needs for the, the generations inside your organization by engaging them. And they'll get you to the thing that's most important to them as well, right? They'll get you to how important sustainability is or how important social responsibility is or how important diversity is if you allow them to be part of putting that plan together. And that's what lean is all about. That's what continuous improvement is all about. Engaging people in your organization to continuously improve everything you do. The most important goal makes sure that what they do is, everything they do is directed toward the same thing. And that's and that's really key. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges in any organization, in fact, in anybody's life right now, is that focus on, all right, what is the thing that we're trying to achieve and avoiding the things that are distractions, the additional projects, the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, all of the clutter that, um, that comes into, into our lives or into the lives of businesses and, um, yeah. 
And it's it's an interesting question, isn't it, Jim? When when there's so much push, I think, for companies to to diversify, right? And to what you know, to try to get bigger by diversification. Um, so you would have to think about how does that particular strategy, is it actually helpful to my most important goal, or is it something that is um going to detract from my goal? Yeah. So Bella, if I might talk about that a little bit further. If diversification is your most important goal, the strategies behind that are going to be completely different than if your most important goal is to double profits. Mm. Okay. So one of the things that that I have found is that, you know, we talked about uh, strategies not realizing their intended value. But another interesting statistic is that 80% of mergers and acquisitions don't create the value that was intended because a diversification strategy requires you to move into areas that you're not an expert at. Right, yeah. Or to acquire companies or to go into new channels of distribution And the business hierarchy of needs serve those really well because you set the most important goal for that diversification strategy. And it points everyone, it gives everyone their true north. Now, oftentimes people will talk about mission and vision as your true north, right? Mission is my true north. Vision puts some more flesh on the bones around my mission. But vision doesn't tell me the from what to what by when. The most important goal is the next element underneath of it that actually gives me measurable numbers. And, for example, in a diversification strategy or, or where the most important goal for diversification, we can measure that in many different ways. And it can, and and an appropriate measurement there might be what percentage of our sales is results from new channels of distribution or acquired acquired businesses right. and so those are all very measurable they tell us the score they tell us how we're doing relative to something and that's really important for people to understand how they're doing and one of the things that frustrates me about strategic planning and its implementation more than anything else is that oftentimes leadership teams will get together and they'll build a strategy and they'll spend months together in a room creating this strategy. And then when they've got it done, while it might be very, very good because they haven't engaged other people throughout the organization, which might include vendors and customers as well it should it should include vendors and customers right right i agree i completely agree you know i i actually when i talk about engagement i talk about engaging stakeholders of which vendors customers contract workers 1099 employees temporary workers which make up a large percentage of today's workforce they need to be engaged and be part of the development of that strategy and the development of the tactics on how to implement it. And so engagement is the key to making sure that I don't have that challenge at the end of three months when I've got the strategy on how to communicate it to everybody. And then- Right, right. And so you go, ta-da, and everybody says, what what is that? And it's probably full of a lot of language that the, the, the board or whoever has come up with it has come up with because now they know what this stuff means to them. Yeah. So come. we created I created the business hierarchy of needs, and it's got three levels. The foundational level, which is strategy, mission, vision, values, customer knowledge and awareness, and the most important goal and clearly defined business strategies. That's the foundation. And that's primarily owned by the C-suite and the board and owners, right? But they need to have a good representation of middle-level leaders and key influencers in the organization in the development of that foundation. Level two is what I call knowledge and change management. That's all about the organization. That's all that is primarily owned by middle level leaders. 
And middle level leaders know what they what resources they need, what training needs to be done, how succession planning should be done, how compensation practices should be done. And leadership needs to allow the middle level leaders to own that. Now, they don't abdicate their responsibility. They're involved, obviously. But we now engage the middle level of the organization in taking the next steps to define the how. Level three is what we call implementation. If we've done a really good job of creating the foundation and engaging a lot of people in the development of the organization strategies and delivered training, implementation is a snap. It's a lot easier because now, instead of having maybe a dozen people or so who created the strategy, and the tactics to support it, I now might have 20% of the organization involved. When I get that kind of involvement of the stakeholders, now we've, 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 uh, we've achieved critical mass. Right. That's your tipping point. That's the, that's, that's what you need to move the organization forward. Yeah. Right. Right. And because they've all been part of it, they own it. And so now accountability and buy-in is there already. And we and when we do strategic planning, we work really hard with our clients to make sure that they get that critical mass. And so once the strategic plan is done, it's not an announcement where we spring onto somebody, hey, we've got this great new idea. Here's what we're going to do. The reality is, <clears throat> okay, we've worked together. Now let's go ahead and make this happen. And then, and then people understand it. They can teach their colleagues. It's and you can you can really move much much more closely to that alignment. So, how does an organization come up with its most important goal? Is it a is how did how did they do that? So <clears throat> that's a great question. You know, early in my career, I was taught that. When a company puts together a strategic plan, they should have three to five strategies and no more than that, right? Oftentimes we have, when I get together with a client to talk about strategic planning, they already have strategies that they're working on or mm -hmm. strategies they think are important. I ask them why for each one of their strategies. Why, why are you doing this? And so we go through an exercise called the five whys. And you do five what you do five whys on their strategies. That's I do five whys on the strategies that they have. Yeah. And by the time we get through the fifth why, we have found the common theme for their strategic plan. That becomes the most important goal, and we put a measurement around it. So I'll give you an example. I was talking with the CEO of a university. And he was telling me what their strategies were. They were going to put in new academics. They were going to implement new athletic programs. They were going to, you know, expand in the United States and other places. And I said, why? Right. How do these relate to each other? And they couldn't give me the answer. And so we went through the five whys exercise and came to the conclusion that what they really wanted, the most important thing to them was to significantly grow student enrollment in Europe. So <clears throat> once you have that, our most important goal is to, is to increase student enrollment by 50%. I just made that up. Mm -hmm. um, then we go, how? We do the five how exercise. How are we going to do that? Well, adding academics in the United States is not likely going to increase you know, it, student enrollment in Europe because the educational needs of people in Europe are different than the educational needs of people in the United States. So once we started focusing on that growth in Europe, those strategies changed significantly. They were still directionally correct in that they needed athletic programs, but baseball wasn't part of it. Right. <laughs> right? Rugby was. Uh, soccer was. And so 
you know, when we talk about academics, the academic needs were different than that in the United States. So we were able to very quickly after the five how exercise, identify the, refine the strategies that they had to focus on Europe. That's, so, that's how it works. And that, and that makes so much sense, Jim, because I can't think of an existing organization that doesn't have things they're already working on. They may not call them strategies. They may, you know, they may have different terminology for it, but there are things they're working on heads of this, uh, this or that program. Um, and it certainly is easy over time to lose track of, or perhaps never even understand why, why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? And I think that's true for big organizations, small organizations, and non, not profit, not for profit organizations as well. There's a, the, a lot of this, stuff that gets applies, tacked on. Yeah, this applies to any, any team of people who are working together to try and accomplish something. And it, it applies to church groups. It applies to not-for-profits, as you pointed out. It applies to universities. So while I might be a supply chain guy, what we're talking about applies to any type of business that takes inputs, adds value to them, and then delivers or sells services and products to, to their right. customers or their clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that is that is so true, isn't it? It doesn't matter what business you're in, and that includes not-for-profit organizations, you are still doing that in some way. Uh, so that is... Uh, so here's, here's a perfect example, and I'll go back to the supply chain. One of our statements is that the world is a supply chain and every business has one. Yeah. So let's talk personally for a second you have a supply chain. Right, yeah. You find podcast guests, you talk to them, you make sure that they're going to meet the needs of your listeners. Then you go through a process of acquiring information from me. Then you have the process of actually doing the podcast. Then you have to edit it and prepare it for distribution to your listeners. Those are all activities where you are adding value to the raw the, the inputs that you have. And you are creating a unique service, in which we call this a podcast, a unique service to your demographic, the demographic that you serve. So that's a perfect example of a non-manufacturing environment, of a supply chain in a non-manufacturing environment. Right, right. And that was that is certainly one of the things as I think my listeners know that as we uh, for the edges of lean, that it starts with, well, why this podcast? You know, what's different about this podcast, uh, you know, from all of the other lean podcasts? And uh, so it always starts with the why, which is which is why the first conversation for those of you who, who were listening, the first conversation that Jim and I had was I was like, why? Tell me why you should be on my podcast. Right. So, yeah. 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 And, for exactly that reason. And, and and we apply lean techniques, lean business and lean manufacturing, but in general, lean techniques to all the activities we do. You know, lean is how, lean is all about how do I minimize the amount of effort required to add value inside my business? How do I reduce waste? How do I minimize lead time? How do I, you know, minimize the number of transactions that need to occur so that I can be more productive and be more effective, right? That's the whole mindset behind lean and continuous improvement. And so when we talk about the implementation of the business, creating a unique business hierarchy of needs for a company, lean is always in the, in, in the back there. Lean is always, it's actually not in the back, it's in the forefront. It's important, and I, I, but I truly believe, Jim, also that that all of those things—the reducing the rate, the waste, and um, increasing the the speed, and improving value to the customer—is all. What's intrinsic to that is also the idea that 
the people who are doing that have an opportunity to also develop at the same time. So it's about it's about what do they learn along the way and how does that then value create value for the for the company or for the organization because as people become more capable then that creates more and more value for the company even if those people end up leaving right because they have created knowledge while they were doing that and hopefully you're retaining that knowledge in the company yeah but let's go back to where we were in the beginning and say that if if i can allow if i provide a process so that my stakeholders can realize that, then they're going to feel like a much more important part of the business. And to go back to the Gallup numbers for my book, that leads to an 80% reduction in absenteeism, a 40% reduction in turnover. And so this whole concept of applying lean techniques and engaging people into being part of the how and making their professional life more satisfying leads to all of these other benefits. And that will certainly help an organization achieve their most important goal, right? That's a you betcha. I love it when you talk that way, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> Get all that engagement working towards the most important goal. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, uh, tell us the title of your book, Jim. So the title of my book is Strategy Realize the Business Hierarchy of Needs. And it's all about taking everything we do inside the business and pointing it in one direction. I often joke with people that the most important goal is the politically correct way to say no. <laughs> and what I mean by that is if everyone in if the stakeholders inside my business or my team because I want to emphasize that this is not applies not only to teams but or to businesses but it applies to teams inside of businesses and even to individuals. That if what we're doing is, if we use the most important goal as the litmus test, now my engineering is coming through. Yeah. As the litmus test for justifying what we want to do and how we want to do it. Now we have everyone working on the same objective. And what happens is, is if everyone understands the most important goal and they understand their role in helping to achieve it, they don't suggest things to do or investments to make or changes in strategy if it doesn't move the company closer to, or the team closer to its most important goal. And that's what strategy, that's, that's what the book is all about. It's all about how do you take a business create a most important goal and do and, and point everything you do toward that most important goal. And so it's filled full of examples from my career on how on, of, of things that we've done well and things that weren't done so well. Things that didn't go so great. Yeah. yeah. And, and the impact that it had. Um, I did a presentation for the IERG a little bit ago. And with a guy that I was very closely associated with in developing and implementing Black & Decker's global total quality management system. And I told him, I said, you know, if I were to do this all over again, I would do it differently. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, what we did was we created this program, total quality management, and created all of this training. And we went to the 12 divisions inside of Black & Decker and we met with each one of the leadership teams for each one of those divisions, and we started delivering training. If I were to do it all over again, what I would have done, because of what I know now, is I would have sat with each one of the leadership teams and said, what's your most important goal? What's the thing, the most important thing we can do strategically to help you get to your most important goal? And then what I would have done is defined a training program 
set objectives, and define a training program for the people inside their organization to be able to actually make a difference rather than just delivering training and assuming that the people are going to know what to do with it. So we need to be prescriptive in how we roll this out, but it always needs to be pointed toward the most important goal. That's such a great example. Um, and, and it reminds me of uh, something that happened uh, in, in my professional life. Um, I was, uh, my my career's, my whole career has been in research and development. And uh, there was a point at which I got a phone call from somebody, corporate somebody saying, well, we're, go we're going to we're going to roll some of the uh, Six Sigma workout in R&D. So we got the Six Sigma guy came in and he started talking to us about how we were going to manage our excess inventory. Well, that means nothing in R&D. Well, it does actually mean something, but you have to really think through what does it mean. But the question that was never asked is exactly what you said. Well, what's the most important goal of research and development? Well, the most important goal of research and development is to put new products on the market. Now, excess inventory is projects that you're working on that are, that are probably not going to uh, result in a new product being on the market, right? So but if you come in and say, well, well, you have to manage your excess inventory. It means it meant nothing to us. It was it was so foreign to us, and um, it just made it very difficult to to move forward with what we were trying to do. So let's take that another step. So in R and D, speed to market is the most important goal. And whether it's pharmaceuticals or it's consumer products or it's tech products, speed to market for research and development is the most important goal. Now, how do you, you, that's really a big generic statement. Yeah, it is. Right? And so you can spend a lot of time, you know, up in the clouds talking about how do I improve speed to market? I say, don't do that. Let's identify the product that's most important to the success of your company that you're working on right now. And let's apply all the lean tools around speed to market for that one product and deliver the training to the organization to improve speed to market for that one product. What did I do by doing that? What I did was I demonstrated to the executive team and to the entire business, how you can take this philosophical concept of lean and apply it to an actual product and prove it. Now, what does that do? That generates all kinds of excitement inside the organization because they say, well, wow, this, re this really can work, right? And so we, we what we would have done is we would have sat with you and your team and said, okay, what's the most important product you're working on that's going to have a significant impact on the organization? Now let's apply lean, let's create a program where we're going to apply lean techniques and deliver training just in time to the teams who are working for this in, in on the specific elements of increasing speed to market or improving speed to market. Yeah, and that would have made that conversation would have been a completely different conversation. You betcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you betcha. So Jim, thanks thanks for uh for filling us in on on all of this and I really appreciate the the depth of your knowledge, I think it's it's very helpful. And I hopefully it's helpful to the listeners. If you were starting over, or, or, not, or kind of looking back from where you are now, what is your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? So it, I'm going to actually give you some, an example because, because of my age. My children are 39, yeah. 37, and 35. They all have successful careers. And they were kind enough to read dad's transcript of the book. Oh, that was nice of them. But I can tell you that all three of my children have come to this conclusion as a result of reading the book. Let me understand what the most important goal is for what I'm working on today. Or for the team that I'm leading. And let's build strategies and tactics toward the most important goal that I'm directly responsible for. Now, of course, they had to do a little work 
on the front end to talk to their leadership mm-hmm. about what the most important goal was for the company, which transcended into their most important goal. How are they, what are the things they could work on that would deliver a significant result? And they've actually done that. All three of them have done that. And for my oldest daughter, she wrote um, a, a really kind piece uh, on you know how proud proud she was of dad writing Aww. a book. And several executives inside her organization bought the book. So I was talking to her the other day about, I sure hope they like it as much as you do, right? But at the end of the day, she's working on the most important goal for her team and strategies and tactics to achieve that. Now, what happens, and this is, I think, the key takeaway for individuals and young people starting out. If you go to your leadership and you've gone through the exercise of the business hierarchy of needs, which is not that complex. As a matter of fact, on my website, strategyrealized.com, there's actually a, a workbook that you can download. It's free to create your own unique hierarchy of needs. If you work through that and you can demonstrate to leadership how you have thought this through and how what you want to accomplish, your most important goal, how how you want to accomplish is going to be done, you stand above everybody else in terms of getting funding and resources for your organization. And I've seen it happen over and over again, because by walking through the creating your own unique business hierarchy of needs exercise, you've now thought it through completely, what you want to do and how you're going to achieve your most important goals. So I would suggest to people inside an organization and young people, keep that in mind. What's our most important goal and how are we going to accomplish it? And you'll stand heads and shoulders above the other people inside your organization who also need resource, who also need access to scarce and limited resource and and, uh, human resource and financial capital. Wow, that is great advice. Thank you. Hey, Jim Gitney, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of lean. It's you're quite welcome. And it's really been my pleasure, Bella. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Jim Gitney for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Jim at strategyrealized.com or on LinkedIn and pick up a copy of his book, Strategy Realized. Find me on LinkedIn or at leaderforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.